Jeffrey Epstein is accused of running an underage sex trafficking ring. He's a hedge fund manager who has powerful political connections that include former President Clinton. Epstein is already a registered sex offender, pleading guilty back in 2008 to charges of soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. We have spent hours trying to figure out just who was Jeffrey Epstein, how he died, and some even asking if he died at all. And the revelations with this story just keep on coming. Now, it's hard to find any positives amidst the darkness that surrounds Jeffrey Epstein. And I don't call him billionaire Jeff Epstein. I don't call him financier. I call him evil pervert Jeffrey Epstein. However, we do have an opportunity on our hands here at a time when people are really starting to ask questions about Epstein, about governments, politicians, and even the royal family. You know, we have a chance to really open their eyes to how the world really, really works. And most of the mainstream media would love for us just to kind of bury our heads in the sand or get bogged down in the details of what really happened on the night of Jeffrey Epstein's demise. However, there are some elements of the mainstream media out there, and yesterday on the show, I was complimenting the Daily Mail for the way in which they have not only covered the story, but they have dared to dig deeper into one aspect of this that really does reach the highest echelons of the British and global establishment. Yes, they're pursuing the story that surrounds Prince Andrew. And I really must take my hats off to the Daily Mail for that because this is a bit of a rarity. It's the first time in my lifetime I can remember something like this. And of course, in the alternative media, we have a lot of people helping to shine a light on this, the, the darkest of networks. And that's the thing, folks, it is a network. It's not just one man and we can't let this story die with Jeffrey Epstein and one person that's been doing amazing work, and I've been relying on heavily for a lot of my updates, is a gentleman called Sean Atwood. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Sean, he is a speaker, author, and activist based in London who is banned from America for life. As an inmate in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's jail, he used a tiny pencil sharpened on a cell door to write the first prison blog called John's Jail Journal. Now, his writing, smuggled out of the jail with the highest rate of death in America, turned the international media spotlight on conditions. Dead rats in the food, cockroaches crawling in his ears at night, murder by guards and gang members. Now, I could sit here and wax lyrical for hours about Sean, and I'm hoping that we have a good time tonight, we get some good information out there, and we can get him back on the show sometime real soon because this guy not only is he one interesting character but man what topics he covers so without any further ado sean welcome to the show brother thanks for having me on kev when anything happens in the prison system because of my experience i get inundated with questions so i posted a video about epstein and i couldn't believe the response this is an absolute epstein mania right now all over the world it really is and like i was saying in the introduction there sure it's it's really interesting you know concentrating on epstein and the build-up to his ultimate demise in the prison cell suicide versus suicided taken away and we'll get your thoughts on that in a moment but do you agree with me that you know there's probably people out there that are really happy that, we're, that there are people just concentrating on that aspect of the story. Because if people are concentrating on the Epstein element, they're not seeing the bigger picture here, Sean, are they? There seems to be an absence of indictments for his co-conspirators right now. So if the motive for murdering Epstein was to eliminate the criminal case to prevent that can of worms from opening, then what's in play right now, not indicting anybody else, backs that up. Absolutely, and one element of this that you don't see being spoken about, and it's something we can get into as the show progresses as well, but 
You know, the fact that even the US government, somebody in there, I can't remember, was it Acosta? He was talking about the fact that, you know, here's Jeffrey Epstein, and he was blatantly told, this guy's intelligence, you can't touch him. Yeah, and then that was his, either that was his excuse for the sweetheart deal, or that was legit. And if you've watched any of the stuff that David Icke's doing, David Icke believes that Epstein was a blackmail operation for the intelligence agencies. High-profile people getting into these situations with the underage girls, filmed, recorded, and therefore blackmailed. Yeah, and I must admit, you know, that's where my speculation takes me as well. I see him in a very similar light to Jimmy Savile over here. And, of course, Jimmy Savile, he had his connections to the palace through Prince Charles, Prince Philip. There's a lot of similarities here between Prince Charles and Prince Andrew, who we're going to get to. But I want to call on your experience of the American prison system and share with us, I mean, how likely is it that all of those errors that we're told occurred on that fateful night, how likely is it in your mind that that really is how things went down, Sean? That's as likely as a lone gunman killing JFK. Now, in prison, life is cheap. you got a highly addicted to drugs population. Guys in there will take you out for $50 just so that they can get high. Then there's also the murders by the guards. So I've got videos on my YouTube channel of guards murdering mentally ill prisoners in the jail I was housed. Brian Crenshaw, partially blind shoplifter, failed to produce an ID for the evening meal. Guards pulverized him, broke his neck, severe internal injuries. He went into a coma. He died over a month later. Scott Norberg, mentally ill man. They brought him in. Guards started beating him pulverizing him and electrocuting him with taser guns. A female guard tried to stop it. She said, stop beating him, his face has turned blue. They pushed her off, they kept beating him. The prisoners watching from the holding cell started to yell, why are you still beating him, he's already dead. And they could not stop beating the corpse. They were like a pack of wolves just going in there. So if life is that cheap in prison, it's completely easy to take someone out like Epstein. Absolutely. And, you know, for somebody like Epstein, he's a bit of a paradox, really. And what I mean is, in one hand, you've got a, a billionaire, arguably, who, even if facing 45 years in jail, Sean, he had enough money to put in the pockets of the right people to make it a 45 years that maybe me and you wouldn't have served, right? But then on the other hand, you've got him at the very lowest end of the, the the prison kind of scale, don't you? You know, a child pervert. How do you think that would have gone for him if he had lived, gone to trial and gone to jail? So if he had have ended up in the general population, it would have been KOS, kill on sight. That's what it was in Arizona. There was a guy housed next to me who was in the general population. He was undercover. He was living in the cell with the head of the Mexican gang. And he went to court one day, and it was on the news, his case, that him and I think his wife had molested their niece. So when he came back from court, the gang members, the Mexicans, waited until a guard did a security walk. There's like a walk every 30 minutes. And then they tortured this guy, and I've never heard any sounds like it. It's, it was like a you know when cats fighting in the night, this guy was wailing and making these possessed noises. They timed it so that they have the full 30 minutes to torture this guy almost to the brink of death. And when he came out of that cell, he could barely walk. He was covered in blood from his head to his toes. He stumbled to the plexiglass door, pounded on it, it opened and he collapsed. And we never saw him again after that. So that is what happens to sex offenders. That's the convict code. Now, because Epstein was so high profile and because of the nature of his charges, he was being isolated from the general prison population. The fact that they put in a guy who'd murdered four people into his cell 
These are the opposite poles in prison now. It's the convict code to kill sex offenders, and murderers are the most likely ones to take that into action. So the fact that they put that guy in with him, to me, that was the first attempt on his life that failed. I agree with that. I, I, I kind of called it in my show. It was like they were hoping the natural order of the prison system would kick in and it would be job done. Their hands would be clean, totally deniable. You know, okay, we shouldn't have put the guy in the cell, but it never happened. We'd maybe had some genuine guards who stumbled upon a murder attempt because there was a suicide attempt, murder attempt. We don't know what it was. So let me take you to what your take is then. What's your speculation as to what really happened in that cell? Okay, look how Epstein was playing the system with his money. You're allowed so many legal visits a week, and Epstein, from 8 a.m. all day long, was having visits with his legal team. He told them to file motions for double jeopardy. He believed he had a chance there. He couldn't be tried twice for the same crimes. He also had multiple legal strategies at play. With his amount of money, when all of this media interest died down, you know, he could be sentenced in a big way now, hand some money to someone, and he could be pardoned, or his sentence could be com commuted down at a later date. So he had every reason to live. He'd already played the system once. I believe he was so arrogant, he felt he could do it again. He even told his lawyers that he was going to see him in two days, and he was in good spirits. How many people do you know who are so depressed that they're taking action with their lawyers in good spirits, and then two days later they get so depressed they kill themselves? If he was cycling down into the depression that was that low, I think that would have been um, obvious. So, you know, the fact that if you look at how these assassinations get taken out, people are paid to take the fall. Like when El Chapo, when he escaped from prison in Mexico, the prison director was paid to take the fall. The underlings were paid to take the fall. All those guys knew they were going to get fired from the prison, but they had so much money from helping him escape. You know, they were set up for the rest of their lives. So guards falling asleep when they should have been supervising, guards faking entries in logbooks, this all is evidence that this was a setup. So what do you think then? I mean, me personally, I think when he started to threaten to work with the, the district attorney and things, I think that was a crosshairs on his back. I really do. But then there's another theory that potentially he was whisked away somewhere. And it's another guest I get on, author Charlie Robinson, and he was crediting you the other night on my show for the fact that when he listened to your take on, on why maybe him being taken away and given a new life doesn't really make sense. He said he had to change his whole mindset on that. So so what would you say to people that maybe think, or maybe you still think that yourself? I mean, maybe he is away. None of us know, Sean. Okay, I believe that Epstein was taken out because that criminal case would have caused a massive flurry of paperwork and disclosure about all of the co-defendants, all of the accused, right up to Andrew, Prince Andrew, all these other people in the Black Book, multi-billionaires, presidents, prime ministers. Now, these people around the world have got so much power, there's no way they could afford to allow that to happen. So by killing Epstein, that gives a clear signal to anyone else out there who's a co-conspirator to not come forward because this is going to happen to you next. That's why I think that Madame Maxwell will be the next to go. Well, that's what I was going to actually ask you about her. I mean, we've had reportings of her being cited. We've had the, the whole book review that really, I don't think it stands up to scrutiny. I think she's keeping her head down right now. But do you think she's going to turn up dead somewhere? Do you think she's going to face justice? Or could she be one that just slips away into the night? I'm, high, I'm assigning the highest probabilities to death. The book review, the sightings, I believe are complete hoaxes. If you read the book review, the, there are words spelt with a Z instead of an S, like realized. 
people from London don't spell realized with a Z, they spell it with an S. So that's a complete, complete fake. Um, and it's a, it's a great publicity stunt for the people who have published that book because that book has become uh, a bestseller overnight. So if she gets apprehended by the authorities and she's offering to cut a deal, she's an equal threat then to the powerful people, the co-conspirators, as Epstein was. So they've got just as much reason to take her out as they had to take him out. Now, it would suit their purposes even better if they could. she just went completely missing and they took her out beforehand so there wasn't all this publicity around it. Absolutely, because, I mean, when you look at those 2008 documents, I mean, she is so guilty. You know, she's guilty in the trafficking. She's taking part in rapes. And really, she is, she should be, you know, the world's most hunted person right now, whether that's happening in reality or not. I was listening today, Sean. They still haven't raided Epstein's New Mexico manor or his mansion out there. It's just mind-boggling, some of the stuff going on around this case. And it's some of the other stuff surrounding the case that I really want us to get into because, especially on this side of the pond, this is such an important story. And instead of going away seems to me like it's gathering pace. And, of course, this is Prince Andrew. Now, Prince Andrew, he's a long-time associate of the dead pervert, or maybe alive, Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, he's somebody that, by the sounds of it, he's not giving two hoots. You know, anyone else with any kind of emotions, we know the royals are defunct of them, but they would be panicking. This guy's away, he's playing golf, he's sunning himself in Spain. I mean, what what do you think is going on there, man? It's called elite deviance. When you have so much power and so much wealth, you believe that you can do anything and absolutely get away with it and never face the consequences. And he's probably right. Look at the Clintons. The Clintons, when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, his state police were providing security for the cocaine operation that was coming in in Maine, Arkansas. And so many people got killed around that drug smuggling operation, and Clinton was never held accountable. The only reason his Clinton's brother went down for cocaine dealing doing a cocaine transaction was because the cops knew if Clinton got it first, he would have it all covered up. So they, they took it out in the public right away. So these guys know they can get away with absolutely anything. And there's going to be no consequences for their actions. It's an absolute travesty that in America right now, there are people doing life sentences for weed possession under three strikes laws and paedophiles who are politically connected and are wealthy, or royals like Prince Andrew, cannot be phased and just go sunning themselves in Malaga in a 38 million pound mansion, I believe is where he's staying right now. See, that, that's the thing that really annoys me and so many people out there as well, because there's meant to be a justice system, but, but it's just us. And I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about them when it comes to justice, and especially over here in the UK, I mean, you've got Her Majesty's Crown Court. Not exactly going to be any kind of fair trial if you were to get Andrew in there in the first place. <laughs> but, I mean, I was hearing you talking about your sources and the fact that they were saying there was almost a, a very interesting showdown or a, a crisis up here in Scotland at Balmoral Castle. This is quite interesting because you talk about Prince Philip, and we know Prince Philip was one-time close friend of Jimmy Savile who in my mind is just the British version of Jeffrey Epstein. So so what was going on at Balmoral? What, what's happening in the royal household right now? Because they must be in full panic mode, even if Andrew's not. Well, what I was told was that Andrew and Fergie were up in Balmoral and the Queen went to church. Andrew was next to her to show her support. But Prince Philip and Fergie don't get along. So when Prince Philip arrived, Fergie had to leave. So Andrew and Fergie, they actually got an airplane from Farnborough Airport, which is 30 minutes away from my house, 
and sources at the airport told me that they wouldn't speak to anyone. They had like an army of bodyguards and secret service personnel and they, they just got on that plane and they were just completely secluded and if you look at the history of Andrew's relationship with Epstein, he was already on the sex offenders register. He was already convicted, albeit with the sweetheart deal, on the prostitution charges. And Andrew went against the wishes of the royal family and spent all that time with him, knowing full well that he had these convictions. Yet now, he has the gall to say he's absolutely appalled and they're furiously denying any involvement in anything of, of these heinous crimes that Epstein allegedly has committed. So that's like saying, you know, I was hanging out with the wolf. I didn't know the wolf had just ate the lamb, but that's what wolves do. And the wolf was convicted of it before I hung out with him just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's completely balmy. No, you're absolutely right here. And, I mean, when you look at the actual connections between them, we've obviously got the, the famous photograph of Andrew and Virginia Roberts at the time. And it's in that photograph I've been really hammering home the fact that you've got Ghislaine Maxwell again standing there. And a lot of people don't even see her in that photograph because you're spending that much time and attention looking at the prince with his arm around this young girl. And there she is. And for me, and I'll get your take on this, but with her father, that for me is the final piece in the, the intel jigsaw. I mean, this was more than just a, a child trafficking, child sex ring. I mean, this was used for international blackmail purposes, right? I believe it was had multiple divisions so not only have you got the intelligence agency sponsored blackmail thing going on you've got the child sex trafficking in general and other favors being bestowed to these elites if you look at the three witnesses that have come forward this week or at least the statements from them one of the victims said that she was paid to marry a woman who was a non-US citizen so that she could stay in America. That was just one of the things that she agreed to do. Epstein was offering to pay for surgeries. He was offering to help a young girl with an eating disorder. So there's all these different levels to what could, could possibly have materialized here. You've got the prostitution, you've got the blackmail, you've got marriages being arranged. You've got the intelligence agencies. You know, I just think more and more things are going to come out as this progresses and more victims come forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, Sean. And, you know, it's not just Prince Andrew. You've got Tony Blair. You've got Lord Mandelson. You've got so many people who not necessarily are guilty just because they're in a black book or they were on the Lolita Express, but they've certainly got questions to be answered. And your take on the Daily Mail, I mean... It's quite refreshing to see them not only reporting on this, but investigating on it, right? But what's their motivation here? What's going on there, do you think? Well, it's incontrovertible, the victim's testimony that Andrew paid $15,000, sorry, that she was paid $15,000 by Epstein to have sex with Andrew and that she had sex with Andrew three other times. That statement is in the court process. So for the male to take that and publish it is, is absolutely great. And for them to relentlessly go after Andrew like that, to demand that he come forward and answer questions to help the ongoing investigation, it really is showing that the tide has turned about this big PR machine that is the royal family that's completely untouchable. Absolutely. And we're going to be going to the break in just a moment, folks. If you're on YouTube, we'll be staying live. Don't go anywhere. But on TFR, we'll be back in three short minutes. More to come from Sean Atwood. Check out Sean Atwood over on YouTube. And he's not just talking about Epstein, folks. You're going to absolutely love his channel. You can also find him over on Twitter as well. And we'll hear more from Sean and what he's up to when we come back after the break.
There we go, Sean. We are still on YouTube. So that, that was a good first segment, man. I really like listening to your take on this. And when we oh, come, thank you. Yeah, when we come back, we can expand on things further. You know, we can get into, you know, what you think is going to happen to Andrew now because I've got various kind of theories running about in my head. And, and we can get into a whole heap of other stuff. But I'll just go into the chat room over here on YouTube, see what people are saying. It says, Maxwell gone in the Middle East with Epstein underground, but identity being changed. You see, he's one of the few people in the world, Sean, where I literally, I actually would keep my mind open to him being taken away. But the minute that he was cooperating, the fact that he was looking at getting out of the jail and things like that, he has to go. You know, that that's a total liability for the people that he's in cahoots with, right? If you're interested in the Epstein case, I take a much deeper dive in my books, which are available worldwide than Amazon. We've got Who Killed Epstein, Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton. Virginia Guffrey alleged that Epstein ordered her to have sex with Prince Andrew three times, including an orgy on the Pedo Island, which included underage European girls. On the Lolita Express, Bill Clinton was photographed with Epstein's sex slaves. After Epstein was suicided, both men denied any knowledge of his crimes. This book examines the roles of Epstein and his accomplices in the Honey Trap operation and the likelihood of a royal prince or an ex-president being co-conspirators in his assassination. That's who killed Epstein. Then I've got elite predators from Jimmy Savile and Lord Mountbatten to Jeffrey Epstein and Galen Maxwell. In 2022, Galen Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison after she had procured teenage girls for Epstein and his predator pals. The connections included the most powerful people in the world, ranging from royal family members such as Prince Andrew to former presidents, including Bill Clinton. While the mainstream media protects the innermost circles of the establishment, this book reveals the harrowing truth of elite child molesters and the calculated methods they employ to conceal the horrific activities, which often span decades. And then more recently, I've released Untouchable Jimmy Savile, Savile was a practicing Catholic who raped young boys and girls and had sex with corpses. He was a God-fearing believer who participated in satanic rituals. He was an unprecedentedly generous charity fundraiser who was too tight to buy his own meals. He was a friend of princes and dukes who ate bacon sandwiches at his local greasy spoon. He was a peace activist who tied up troublemakers in his nightclubs and had them brutally beaten. He was a furry godfather who hated children. Untouchable Jimmy Savile demolishes the mainstream media narratives portrayed in Netflix's and the BBC's documentary. And we show that Savile's behavior was enabled by the most powerful members of the establishment for whom he was a fixer and a procurer. So these three books are available worldwide on Amazon, paperback, ebook, audiobook. They've got hundreds of five star reviews. Check them out. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's. He, what, his net worth was half a billion? Well, that was nothing compared to the wealth and the power of these other people. He's a pawn, really. Absolutely. And, you know, I was saying to you as well that a lot of my American friends, I don't think they realise the scale and the scope of the character Jimmy Savile. And for me, Jeffrey Epstein is maybe not on a par when it comes to the evil and the depravity of Savile, but he's still the same cog in this vast machine that is a global network that gets up to this all the time. It's been happening over the ages. You've spoke to David Icke. I've spoke to David Icke. The horrible thing is, Sean, there's nothing new about this, right? There's nothing new about it at all, no. I mean, one of my favourite books in prison was The Rise and Decline of the Roman em Empire by Edward Gibbon and reading all of the shenanigans that the emperors got up to you know, it's, uh, this is this is nothing. What's going on now? Absolutely. Exactly. And Sean, let people know where they can find your work. And I think you've got a premiere coming out as well, right? Or is it out by now? Yeah, I mean, all my work, all my socials, my YouTube channel are just under my name. S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T -T Wood, Sean Atwood. I interview someone every week on YouTube for about two hours on my true crime podcast, which is doing really well right now. A lot of those guys have been in prison. One was a prison guard. One was a Scotland Yard detective. That's a, that's pending that one. And he's going to be, he was talking about actually was um, whenever he investigated the 
sex rings in London, as soon as people, it was realized that people participating in this were famous or politically connected, once the investigation led to that level, he would always get instructions from the top to shut the investigation down. And he got moved around. They told him, stop doing this, or you're going to lose your job, lose your family, lose everything. And they kept moving around, and he kept doing it. And they kept their word. He lost his job, and they tried to ruin his life. So that's how it works with these elite chomo rings. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's one of the darkest topics out there, man. I remember touching on the Hampstead stuff. I covered that for a while when it was in the news, and... You know, it's it's dark, but I feel the need that like people like us, Sean, because we've got podcasts, because we've got a voice, you know, it's our duty to really put this information out there because, yeah, the Daily Mail are doing their bit, but people are really hungry for this information. And if we're the, basically the sources that they're coming to. And I have to thank you, you know, before we go back on to TFR for the work you're doing on this, because like I say, you save me a lot of time because you really condense your stuff down into a really nice presentation and I urge everyone out there to check out Sean's channel. So we're going to come back on to TFR now. Stand by. There we go. We are back. We are live. Sean Atwood is my very special guest today. And we're talking about the prince, the perp, or the perv, and a typically royal scandal. So before we get back into it, Sean... Let people know again where they can follow you to keep up with your work, man. Yeah, all my socials and my YouTube are under my name, S-H-A-U-N, Atwood, A-T-T, Wood. I've got 11 books now on Amazon, available worldwide. My book, American Made, was a bestseller. That's about Barry Seal, who was flying in cocaine for the CIA to Maine, Arkansas, under the protection of Bill Clinton. And that was under George H.W. Bush, who was uh, running that program with Oliver North. And on my YouTube channel, I've got the True Crime podcast every week, two-hour interview with someone on the front line of true crime. Yeah, your true tr true crime stuff. This is why I'm really, really keen to get you back on when you come back after your little break. So um, there's so much I would love to pick your brain on. There really is, Sean. We could speak for hours on end. I feel quite a kind of a synchronicity with you. You know, there's a lot about your life, a lot about my life. Definitely sync up. And I'm really enjoying talking to you so far. And I hate to say that because we're talking about some of the darkest topics here. Talking, like I say, about the prince, the perv, and a crisis at the palace. And in your lifetime, can you remember anything like this? You know, rocking the palace. I think I would have to go back to, you know, the death of Diana, maybe. The death of Diana, definitely. But you've got to think back then, there was hardly any social media like there is today. So the mainstream media pretty much controlled what everybody thought, and they were just manipulating the hell out of people. That's become the dinosaur media. And now with modern technology, people like you, Kev, are putting the word out there. and. It's so refreshing that the public are really accepting this because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, some of us might have been called conspiracy theorists, but now people are seeing through the veneer what these guys really get up to. Absolutely, and, you know, that that's why a case like this, and I keep going back to this, I hate saying there's a good side to any of this stuff going on, People are starting to ask questions. People are starting to wake up. And, you know, Prince Andrew, I asked you what you thought would happen with Ghislaine Maxwell. But what do you think they're going to do to basically take the heat off of him? And I've been wondering, and I was sitting last night, maybe I've been thinking about it too much, but what a perfect time for some kind of major distraction. And I don't know what it could be, but something for the media that they wouldn't be able to ignore. And then just give this enough time to die down and you know how the news cycle works in this country and over in America. You know, that might be enough just to take the heat off a little bit. But what's your take on it? That could be anything from a terrorist attack to war with Iran. Those would take the heat off this news story. 
And the war with Iran, that's not such an unrealistic prospect when you kind of keep your eye on geopolitical events. And of course, on the American side of the pond, you've got people like Alan Dershowitz. I mean, he's been accused of heinous acts as well, yet he seems to be treated like some kind of a celebrity that does the rounds on all the main news, all the big TV shows. It's quite disgusting to watch, and I'm just waiting for the attacks on the actual victims to start by the mainstream media over there. I watched the BBC interview with Dershowitz the other night, and he did contradict himself. She was really calling him out, and he was saying that, you know, these allegations that have come about, he didn't know the full extent of what Epstein had done, because Epstein previously sweetheart deal it was just a prostitution case but Dershowitz was a lawyer on that first case and he was one of the guys who got Epstein the sweetheart deal and he even said when she asked him did he tell you anything that you know clients sometimes tell attorneys to indicate the extent of things and he said he did tell him stuff but he would have to take that to his grave because of attorney-client privilege. So I thought she did a good job showing him for the doublespeak that he was putting out. Yeah, that's a very good point right enough. And, you know, you were saying during the break, and the TFR audience might not have heard this, but, you know, when it comes to big cases like this and you get good police trying to investigate things and stuff like that, and we've seen a recent high-profile case over here where somebody accusing a VIP paedophile ring ended up getting 18 years in jail. I mean, how do these cases typically go when it comes to the legal system, Sean? So I interviewed a Scotland Yard police detective recently, and that true crime podcast will be getting published on YouTube in September. And he said he was assigned to Vice. And he wasn't just out there, you know, just rounding up prostitutes. He was trying to get a full understanding of the situation. So he would speak to the girls. He was making sure they weren't getting harmed. If they were getting harmed, he'd try and prevent that. But he started to notice underage girls on the streets. So what he did was he filed reports on these underage girls and he asked the older prostitutes if they would go to court and testify. And he built up such good relationships with them he had all these people from the streets willing to testify to try and get these underage girls off the streets. And he's building up case after case after case. Now, over time, he learns that these underage girls are getting, they're coming from care homes, and either the care homes are pimping them out, or they're running off at the weekends and getting high and getting drunk and prostituting themselves. But monitoring the clients over time the clients that he started to notice were famous people, were politicians, were business owners, and people who had powerful connections. So whenever the investigation was showing these results and coming to a climax, and arrests were going to be made, the order came down from the top to shut the investigation down. Now, they tried to stop him from doing this stuff by moving him around. And everywhere he went, he kept doing it. And they said to him, look, if you keep doing it, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose everything, basically. And that's exactly what happened to him. He lost his job, lost his house. They disrupted his family life. They criminalized him. He had two sons at home, an older son and a son who was in his teens. And he had a third son who almost died and was in hospital. I think he'd had a sports injury, a rugby injury. And this guy, his, his son, li literally had, had, had died on the operating, operating table. They were bringing him back. And he was there at the hospital. He rushed down there for his son. So the police charged him for not being at home supervising his teenage son, leaving his teenage son unsupervised. They also went through all of his emails and found an email where he talked about a drug. And they said that he'd done a drug deal 
based on that email. So they charged him with doing a drug deal as well. That was the email was sent in his capacity as a policeman. When you charge people, when you criminalize them, they are then useless in court as witnesses. Epstein's first case, what did they do? It was a prostitution case. What did that make the victims? Prostitutes. If they get in court, who's going to believe them then if they're prostitutes? This is how it works. Criminalize the victims, criminalize the witnesses, or kill the witnesses, and there is no case. Very, very, very well put. And that is something, you know, I'm still waiting to watch the attacks on the witnesses because, and the the people that, the victims, let's not call them witnesses, these are victims at the hands of these predators, you know. And I'm sure they'll find a way of burying the story somehow because, like we've been talking about, that's how it works at these highest levels of power. It's one rule for us and another rule for them. And, you know, this is, and I've heard, seen you calling it in your video series, Sean, the royal scandal of the century. And for me, the royal family, they're outdated. We don't even need to get into the fact they're not even British in the first place. But in reality, I mean, six months down the road from now, it's going to be business as usual for the royals, right? I fully believe it will be business as usual for the royals six months from now. I don't think that we will ever see Andrew behind bars being held accountable for having sex with a trafficked girl. It's it's sad, but like you said it, one law for them, one law for us. And we've had David Icke, you, you know, he's claimed made claims about Ted Heath, Jimmy Savile for years before anybody knew anything. And I sometimes wonder, you know, if people had taken him more seriously back then. But then you look at the bigger picture, and I think that's probably a big aspect of the the kind of um, trolling and the hate campaign that Ike has faced over the years. You know, that that determined kind of effort to make people think of him as just purely the reptilian guy. Because if you think <laughs> of him as that, then you don't listen to the Ted Heath stuff and all the rest of it, right? Yes. If you pick at one little thing that he talks about that does not discount everything else... And that's what the royal family are doing now. Yeah. They're picking at certain allegations that were made of Andrew being in a certain place at a certain time and saying that couldn't possibly be true because of the royal manifest, whatever it's called. But they're not addressing, you know, his arm around this girl and her allegations. They're just picking away at little parts. David, I, I discovered him. In prison, I was in maximum security Madison Street Jail, Phoenix, Arizona. This was back in about 2003. And a guy who was facing a life sentence shoved an Ike book under my door and he need, said, you need to read this. And it was the Alice in Wonderland 9-11 one. And because I had been trading in the stock market around the time of 9-11, and I saw the options trades go through before 9-11, betting the airlines were going to go down, and then Ike's book really put it all into context because that was my initial waking up was seeing these trades going through. It was reported on the news. It had to be the terrorists. They're the only ones that knew. And then it completely disappeared out of the news because it was traced back to a bank that had ex-CIA guys were running that investment bank. So that tells you everything right there. But it was in Ike's book. It, it really spelt it out. I was speaking to my first podcast guest, Jamie Morgan Kane the other day, and he said that they actually, in California prison, they actually have a reading group where they study Ike's books and they have discussions about them. So next time I see David, I'm going to tell him that because I don't think the profound effect he's having on people all over the world, I don't think that um, he fully gauged that when I, when I told him, uh, when I saw him last time. That's amazing, Sean, it is, but, you know, that is a testament to his work, and I've been reading from his book this week, and, of course, he quotes so many other sources, both present-day and from ancient sources as well, which really adds to the evidence that he's putting forward, and I loved one of his recent videos where he was talking about social media and things, and 
he was talking about how he just doesn't give a damn what people think about him anymore. And I think that's really important nowadays, especially, you know, for people like us and people in general, because so many, you, you know, people focusing on, on all the wrong things and getting bogged down in the trolling and, and everything else. But really, in the end of the day, who gives a damn? <laughs> you know, thousands of years from now, will any of this matter? So <laughs> Exactly. We, we, we need to live in the present and get the information out there and be true to ourselves and keep it real. That's what I say. That's my philosophy. Absolutely. And you were talking about Clinton earlier on, right? Mina Arkansas. And I remember having on Chip Tatum. And he, he was one of the CIA pilots that was going in and out of Arkansas, stuff like that. And you've wrote a book on, on the American-made thing. I mean, what's it like? You've been over in America. You've tasted the, the justice system under Sheriff Joe, no less. But when it comes to the drugs trade over there, I mean, did you see any evidence in your time of government involvement, shall we say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had operations in Mexico. So I know people in the Mexican cartels. I spoke to a pilot and he confirmed that it was business as usual. Guns going south on these flights and cocaine and weed going north on these flights with the government, you know, intelligence agencies deeply involved. It's quite eye-opening when you see how the world really works. And like you, Sean, it was not 9-11 in the minutes beforehand when it happened right enough, but maybe took a couple of months to really have an effect on me. And that's what really opened my eyes to the way this world works, and that led me to Alex Jones, David Icke, and eventually picking up a camera, do what you do on YouTube, and, and here we are today. But for a lot of new people out there who, who are, you know, maybe the Epstein case, maybe Prince Andrew back in the news, maybe this is their first taste of what the real world is really, really like. And with so much information out there on the internet right now, I mean, it's one thing when we were kind of gradually doing it and we've we seen the internet growing, but for anyone coming to this world now, it must be really overwhelming at times. I mean, what would you say to people like that, Sean? I would say that you need to do a digital detox. <laughs> <laughs> I see people sat in restaurants, like on dates, and they're just looking at the phones. They're not even talking to each other. I see families going out and about and everyone's just on a device. I went to a neuroscience lecture and the lady, she showed a brain scan of a normal person, you know, who uh, as a child had gone out and played out in the countryside and climbed trees and done you know human activity and then it showed a brain scan of a child who had internet addiction and then it showed a brain scan of a child that had schizophrenia and the neural connections the charts these pictures showed that the internet addict and the schizophrenic their brains were connecting the same wow that, that's pretty um, profound when you think about it really right yeah, it's good to take time off all of this technology because it's designed to overstimulate the brain and it's a form of addiction. They brought in experts in gambling from Las Vegas to Facebook, Twitter and all these other companies to make those platforms fire off this dopamine. You know, you're getting your likes, you're getting your comments, people are saying this, people are saying that, you're getting your notifications. That is just wreaking havoc on the mind. Absolutely. I mean, I've covered this on the show before as well. They've literally turned people into dopamine junkies, you know, and, and for years we had this kind of Wild West approach, especially here on YouTube and, and on the internet in general. But in recent times, and I know you've come under this as well, as you know, increasing attempts to censor, you know, alternative views, alternative voices, and this push to have people basically just go back to the mainstream media for all of their answers. I know your YouTube, your YouTube channel has come under fire. I mean, what, what do you make of all the censorship that's going on right now? 
Well, in recent months, most of my YouTube videos get demonetized right away. There is an appeal process now, and I am learning to win some of the appeals. And I'd just like to thank everybody out there who's helped with the production costs of the videos on Patreon, PayPal, just giving, because those folk have enabled me to go through the summer and to be posting a true crime podcast at least once or twice a week. So big thank you to all those people out there. It's sad that, you know, little guys like us, we get momentum and we do get some revenue back from the videos. But once we start making waves, once things go against the grain of the mainstream, they have ways of slapping us right back down to earth. Oh, absolutely. I've felt that slap a good few times on this platform, that is for sure. But we've only got about seven minutes left with Sean, and Scott Lopez is going to be joining me after the break. Hope everyone stays tuned for that as well. But Sean, you know, I got you on because you've really been on point here about, you know, Epstein, Prince Andrew. And in the final few minutes before I let you go, I mean, what are some of the key points that you want the listeners to maybe really dig into? watch out for or emphasize before you leave today? Well, people who act surprised by all of this, you know, the fact that Clinton was a coke head, the fact that Clinton's brother was arrested for coke and that he was, Clinton was supervising cocaine coming into America. And then he became a president who locked up hundreds of thousands of nonviolent drug users, people bringing cocaine, locking up drug users, people that act surprised at this, the Royal Family, Deviant Behaviour. There's an excellent book. It's Edward Gibbons, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I read that while I was in prison. And the shenanigans of the emperors, of the leaders, just completely blew my mind. And that's called human nature. Human nature doesn't change. Whether it's Caligula, whether it's Prince Andrew, it's never going to change. Technology changes. And that's what we've got now. That's how we're able to expose it. And, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, thankful that people are receptive because the technology is enabling us to deliver the goods. Oh, it really, really is. And that's why we've got to take advantage of this for as long as we can. And, you know, Sean, you've got a number of books out there. I, I'm definitely going to be looking into some of them because you cover some of these cases that have had me absolutely fascinated. Um, I've seen... One of them, like I've seen, American Made. And then there was another one on that Netflix series, uh, The Making of a Murderer. I think you've wrote about that as well. Tell us about some of your books before you go, man. So I wrote a book called Unmaking a Murderer. I've been in touch with the Dassey family, the Avery family. And that book, each chapter, the 10 chapters, are the methods that the prosecutors and the detectives and the system use to frame innocent people. I've written extensively about Pablo Escobar, got multiple books about him, presently got the longest book in the world coming out about him, Pablo Escobar's story. It's going to be four books long, over a thousand pages. So the first two installments of that are out. Then people who are interested in my story, that's a trilogy, party time, hard time, prison time. Party time is all the naughty stuff I did. Moved to America, throwing these rave parties up to 10,000 people, importing ecstasy. And then hard time is the Sheriff Joe Pyro's jail. Prison time is the Department of Corrections. And they're all available worldwide on Amazon, audiobooks, ebooks, and paperbacks. Well, I must admit, Sean, I mean, you came up on my YouTube feed. I've seen somebody in the chat mentioning this as well there. Ian, you just appeared one day on my YouTube <laughs> feed. And that's really good because usually the algorithm does its best to hide people like you. And I say that as a compliment. I really do because... When I tuned in, I was blown away, man. I really was. And again, in front of everyone here, I, I, I want to thank you and, you know, really, really compliment your work that you're doing. Again, maybe I'm a bit kind of confirmation biased because the topics you cover, they're of real interest to me. But not only that, you know, it's all very well talking about the, the problems in the world, looking at these individual cases, but you're helping make a change as well, Sean. And that's really, really important because you go around the country, right? You, you speak to prisoners as well, and you help people physically as, a, as well on top of all the work you're doing. That is truly, truly good work, man. Yeah, I was in Wandsworth Prison earlier this week. Quite high security, 
big, tough guys, and they're looking at me. Uh, but I did a two-hour talk to those guys, and you, 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 prisoners can't show emotions in front of other prisoners. About 30 minutes in, one of the prisoners started laughing. Um, by the end of it, I had the whole audience laughing hysterically. So they were giving me hugs and everything. I felt just a real um, good feeling in my soul, you know. People helped me when I got out of prison. People inspired me. People like Erwin James helped me come up as an author and a speaker. And if I'm in a situation now, I've got a position, a platform whereby I can help other people. If people have got true crime stories, experiences, if they would like to come on my podcast and I can interview them. You know, I, I really uh, feel good that it's influencing people in this positive way. Some of the guys have come on the podcast, people have sponsored them. One guy was able to move to London. Other guy got offered a job. So it's, it's good for the soul. I used to think the meaning of life was making money and, and taking drugs. But when you help people, it puts a break on your ego, and it's good for the soul. Very, very well said, sir. And I really hope we can get you on for a full two hours in the future, Sean, because, like I said, there's so much that we could dig into here. And I hope the KBS audience, if they haven't already subscribed to your YouTube channel, they do so. And any um, big guests lined up for your true crime podcast in the near future? Can you give any, any names away? I've got a policewoman who's been in the news a lot here called Maggie Oliver. So she was exposing the grooming gang up in Rochdale, I believe, and how her work was, again, you know, they tried to stop her from doing her job. So that should be a really good one coming up. Absolutely. And, you know, you think of the media attention that some of the grooming gangs do get and then compare it to the attention that this worldwide global elite network gets. And for me, you know, class doesn't come into these crimes, nor does religion, nor does anything else. These are evil, sick perverts. You know, let's not categorise them by religion or by status. A crime against a child is a crime against a child. Check out Sean Atwood on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back after the break. Don't go anywhere. Take care. Cheers. Thank you from London. Sean, thank you very, very much, sir. That, that was really, really informative, man. Thanks for the short notice as well. I don't think the audience out there, we've still got YouTube with us, but, you know, I, I kind of hit you up yesterday and it's really gracious of you coming on today, man. So thanks a lot, dude. It's all right. It's definitely the time to strike right now against Epstein and his cronies. Definitely, my man. So I will let you go, and I'll send you a link to this, Sean, and I'll drop you an email, and I'll uh, run along and get my other, our two guests now, right? All right. Cheers, mate. Catch you later, man. Enjoy your time away, right? See you. Bye. See you later. Bye. Okay, folks, give me two seconds, and uh, I will have our man, Scotty Lopez, live with us. Bear with me. That was a good show, eh? That was really good, in fact. Sean Atwood, folks, please check him out. We couldn't get into half the stuff there, honestly, folks. I mean, Sean could speak for hour after hour on this topic. And not only that, I would love to get into, like, Sean's life story as well. And you can actually watch that on the TV show, Banged Up Abroad. I think it's called uh, Phoenix Raven, which is a really apt title when you check out the show. It's all about the kind of ecstasy scene and, and Sean's... Um, Brief encounter, a very costly encounter with that as well. But I'm joined now by my good friend, there he is, the man himself, Scotty Lopez. How you doing, sir? Doing good. It's uh, been an interesting day, to say the least. Yeah, you've had uh, some local shenanigans going on. Can, uh, dare to share? Eh. Well, eh. I'll, I'll I'll fill you in after the show, because I, I still don't know exactly the details of what's going on, but... Yeah, it's, it's it's wild. It's wild. Let's just say that the uh, there's a lot of police activity very close to my house right now. <laughs> well, I just had an awesome hour of radio with Sean Atwood and uh, Charlie Robinson in the chat room. Charlie, I gave you your shout out. See, I managed to get that in there. But Sean, on this side of the pond anyway, Scott, he's been doing some great work on this whole, you know, the Epstein episode. Hmm, interesting. Yep, and he just happened to spend a number of, uh, well, spend some time care of uh, Sheriff Joe in Arizona. 
you know. So a very interesting character, man. Very interesting. Very I remember interesting. seeing documentaries That's... about that prison, dude. That that was like uh, no other prison out there, man. That, that was like some bad Sheriff, juju. Sh- well, Sheriff Joe liked to uh, run it old school, I guess you could say. Like uh, like they used to run it back in the back in the day. So he, he liked to bring back the whole uh, chain gang thing, and he didn't uh, he didn't coddle the prisoners. Let's just uh, put it that way. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organised crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the Mafia's past, present and future. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Michael Francis, the original Goodfella, as he exclusively sits down with myself, Sean Atwood. With me as the host, there's going to be a no-holes-barred exploration of Michael Francis's life, including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive in-conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers.